Hello and welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. You have come to the right place if you're looking for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and even a little bit of entertainment. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, thanks for tuning in and being part of our adventure. It's been another whirlwind week in the world of triathlon and endurance sport, with more races being cancelled or postponed and falling victim to COVID-19. Ironman UK and Ironman Ireland have both been cancelled outright for 2020, with the 2021 dates for both events announced earlier this week. The 2021 dates include a change for Ironman Ireland, which has now moved to August, which should, fingers crossed, result in a sunny, dry race day for all, hopefully. Yesterday afternoon, we were advised of the cancellation of the Berlin Marathon due to take place in September, and the Irish government announced that all mass gatherings are to be banned until August of this year. Whilst this Irish decision hasn't come as a surprise to many of us, it does have a profound effect on the sports industry and beyond in Ireland. Since going into self-isolation on the 14th of March, I've been busy doing things behind the scenes on Try Talking Sport and trying to get a long to-do list of jobs done that seemed to make it onto the list but never got marked as completed. I've enjoyed getting the recent podcast together and enjoying the structure and routine that the weekly episodes bring to my days. But with the weekly shows and our Try Talking Sport live broadcasts, coupled with moving all of our BPW Business Club activities online, I haven't stopped to take a breath since going into lockdown or to take some time out. Everything escalated so quickly across the board and in trying to remain connected and keep on top of it all, it's really been a bit manic. You would think that losing pretty much all of your income, your announcing and event marketing jobs would result in a quiet time, but it hasn't. I've kept busy and yes, I have loved it, but now that we know for definite that there won't be any work until August at the earliest, I've decided to take a step back a little and spend more time training than talking, enjoy the bit of sunshine that we get and try and get the long list of never done jobs completed. I'll probably never get this opportunity to have a time out over the next three or four months again, as once we get back to work, it will be, I hope, very busy. So why am I telling you all of this? Well, I've decided to go back to delivering a podcast episode every fortnight with the odd bonus episode popped into each month. But don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just adjusting to the situation we find ourselves in generally with COVID-19. Plus, the Try Talking Sport live sessions on Facebook will continue twice per week on Tuesday and Thursday nights. Last night, we chatted for over 90 minutes with professional athlete Laura Siddle. There were some very funny moments over the course of the conversation, as well as incredible insight from the multiple Ironman champion. Last Thursday, we heard from Ger Kennedy on his Antarctic ice swimming adventures. And this Thursday, tomorrow, we will chat with Irish triathlete Con Doherty. Another session not to be missed. If you do miss these live on the night, you can go back and watch them on the Try Talking Sport Facebook page. I'm also looking forward to taking on some of the virtual challenges. Both Ironman VR and the Castle Triathlon Virtual Racing Series will provide some great motivation to get my own training on track. And whilst I'm looking on them as a bit of fun and an opportunity to get moving again, they do provide a nice carrot to get some focus and consistency with my own training. Now to today's show, I'm actually really excited about it. It is a super episode with Brian McChrystal, an Irish athlete that is synonymous with success, determination and raw passion. From a young age, Brian has shown great form as an athlete from early years in school to his days as a professional footballer before moving across to running, cycling and now triathlon. Ireland's Ironman record holder has inspired many athletes, young and old, 
as he paved his own road in sport, playing football with Leeds United, Dundalk, Newry City, to name but a few. He moved into cycling after some time and effort spent running the roads around Dundalk. As a cyclist, he has clocked up some great results at the Des Hanlon Memorial, Ross Moon, the Tour of Ulster, and in 2016 was second in stage two of the Ross, which was an incredible achievement and testament to his work rate and consistency in training. In the same year, he also raced at the Ironman World Championships in Kona. Switching in and out of the professional ranks of triathlon in recent years, supporting his family business, his wife Karen and children Rian and Era, he is now racing as a professional triathlete and brings us in this episode through some key insights to his success, the highs and lows of racing and how he aspires to be the best athlete that he can possibly be. This episode with Brian was recorded last Friday before the announcement regarding the cancellation of Ironman Ireland for 2020. I hope you enjoy the show. I certainly enjoyed the conversation with Brian. Brian McChrystal, thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, delighted to get a little look inside your pain cave with all those wonderful race numbers behind you in your shed. Brian, how are things during COVID-19 for you? Uh, going OK. If anything, I'm doing more. Uh, thank, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, grand. It's just life is put on hold, but it's the same for everyone, I suppose. And you say life is put on hold, but yet you're you're training more. So it's just life is different as opposed to maybe life being put on hold so much. Yeah, you just probably have to adapt and probably you, the training wise, the last number of years, I limit the amount of time I use the turbo because I'd rather be outside. You limit that, but now it's all on that. So you're kind of getting back into the routine of just all indoors kind of work. And it's all psychological, really. You know, you can deal with it if you want to. If you have to deal with it, you just deal with it. And speaking of uh, being indoors, you raced as part of the uh, Zwift Pro Race. So you've jumped on the Zwift side of things as well. Yeah. Oh, don't bring it up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was an experience. Yeah, probably training a wee bit hard lately. I just was not ready for the start. Well, I was ready. My body wasn't ready. So my heart and legs, lungs, everything was just out of sync. And I was just gone. Three minutes in, I just, there's just that. When you're racing and you're in a particular point in a the race, there's just that subconscious that you know, I can, I can hold this hurt level of hurt. And I just, I just knew I just couldn't hold it. I had to pull the pin. I just had to go, if I don't, well, not that I had to, I was forced to. Uh, but look, it's one of those things. A bit of fun at the end of the day, really. And distraction. Uh, I keep saying it's a bit of fun, but it's not really. When you get your, excuse the language, your arse handed to you, it doesn't feel like fun. <laughs> but it is. But you might it's shock. The, it's, not the, it's not the first time it's happened. It won't be the last either. And, and the other thing as well, Brian, is you can only get better from here as well in terms of what people will expect uh, from some of those big names that were on the, the race with you. So maybe you'll frighten them all next week and we'll see the BMC back that we, that we know with that high power, high strength and uh, superb talent. Uh, I don't know. Like what they've done is they've got all the best, triathletes or anybody all the pro athletes sorry into a race but that race it's based just a, a 14 mile bike race that was so like it was it wasn't really lending itself to anything remotely to do a triathlon it was just the athletes wear triathletes throw them in a bike race <laughs> work away lads so 
Well, it definitely provided a bit of focus for people. And I, I, I tuned in and I actually really enjoyed uh, watching both the women's and the men's race. But Brian, I'm going to come back to way before all of this, because you've been an athlete for a long time. From, from a young age, you were a champion athlete and then moving across to football, into cycling, pro triathlete, back out of the pro area, back in again. So bring us right back. Uh, Brian, to where all of this interest in sport came from, from a young age? I wouldn't have a great memory, to be honest. I, I would forget about things, <laughs> not been smart. But uh, like I, I struggled to remember before I was nine or ten. I can't really remember <laughs> that went on. The first memory is just arriving down to a football, local football field for training the under nines with uh, a very close friend and guy who, who guided me definitely the first part of my life Michael O'Connor he passed away last year or this year I just remember being on the pitch and just falling in love with football and there was nothing that would from that day on I found out what football was I saw that there was a professional game that by that evening I was supporting Man United and all I wanted to do was play football for a job. That's all I wanted to do. And that was just in my mind from the whole way up. Yeah. So where did you go on that journey with football? Um, I went up, I played with my local team, played with the, selected onto the, the town team, Dundalk, played with the all the age groups growing up. And then just played in tournaments uh, that were uh, watched by scouts in England. And you're basically putting yourself on show. I was lucky enough that I got spotted. I was over on trial to a number of clubs when I was 16. I was in the on the fringes of the Irish team, um, but I wasn't getting in. That team would have been... I was unlucky because that team was very strong. That team won the European Championships. It was Brian Kerr's start of his uh, glory kind of manager international days. John O'Shea was actually the centre half that I was fighting to get in against, you know, and a few others, a boy called Jim Goodwin, there was another Brian Callaghan. So I was always the fifth choice, but I got into the Irish squads when I was 18, uh, but not early on. And yeah, just got over to England when I was 17. I was there for a few years. I was meant to go over a year earlier, but my mother wouldn't let me go because she made me do the leave insert. <laughs> Fair play, Mammy. Yeah. yeah. And what was it like leaving home at, at 16, 17 to go and chase that dream of, of playing football? Couldn't wait. I was gone. I, I was the type of guy. I wasn't a I wasn't a mammy's boy, you know. I wasn't uh I was definitely a fella who could look after myself. I could feed myself. I could well I wasn't. I could, but I always let my mother do it. Uh you know, wasn't stupid. But all I wanted to do was get away. I I, I thrived on the responsibility of being on my own when I was away. I would have been away with, oh, my group was about 10, 15 of us from lads from all over the world, Australians, New Zealand, there was Europeans, there was a lot of Irish there, English lads, and, you know, there was probably 70, 80% of them were nearly crying themselves to sleep, you know, with homesickness, you know. But I was just looking at them sideways going, what's wrong with you? different personalities I suppose but I had no problem being away. Do you think at a young age Brian that you were mentally very strong to be able to deal with the level of responsibility and the being away from home and has that stood to you now as your career has progressed as a triathlete? Yeah probably yeah yeah 
I was always told, uh, see, it, it stems from when you need not a lot of luck in life and you need to meet the right people at the right time. And I was very lucky to meet some good people at the right time in my life and the put real stamps on me the kind of you know stuff that really you hear things or statements been said to you and they're they just kind of they engrave that that kind of method that that way of being for the rest of your life um so i met a few people like that you know it was always kind of the first bit of advice i ever heard as a child was be a leader you know don't don't follow anyone and i've never followed anyone in anything I do, I've never followed anyone. I'll look at what they're doing and I'll take stock of what they're doing, but I'll not follow them. I'll make my own mind up. And I was never one to follow the crowd. I always done my own thing. Like even even when I was playing football, like I'll give you an example of it. Like it's as simple as this when you're a young fella and you're playing your football and you're doing your bits and bobs. But I always had that dream in the back of my head. But I had groups of friends that were footballers and weren't footballers. Like any group of uh, young fellas, whatever, you'd find yourself, for example, going to the cinema at half eight. And they'd be having popcorn and butter on their popcorn or whatever. And I wasn't having any of that. Or afterwards, we go for a burger and chip afterwards. And it's a small example, but they were the sacrifices back then that I was trying to make to, to be a footballer. Or even drinking. I didn't start drinking until I was 21. And the amount of times that the lads would have said, oh, go on, go on, go on, you know, that kind of, you know, I never give into that. You know, I wasn't one to kind of, and I've seen friends of mine, the, the nearly lads who are saying, go on, go on, they break you. And you do go on, you know, and that, that happens all the time. But I'm just my own man, you know, just do my own thing. Definitely don't uh, think I have all the answers, but I do look at what other guys do and I... Yeah, you can copy them and then make it your own, I suppose. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how, I, how I approach things. And then moving from football to cycling and triathlon, following your passion for sport continuously. Yeah, well, I a lot of, towards the end of my soccer career, like I, I packed it in at um, 26, 27. Uh, I had two ACL replacements. Um, like I suffered all that disappointment of not making it in England and coming home, playing League of Ireland, and it just didn't get the rub of the green coming home. And then I had two injuries, very bad injuries, and then I actually got injured the third time. So I packed all that in at 27. I just, my personality as well is, I do make decisions in haste, which can is a fault in me. And I just quit, just driving up, training one night I just turned the car around and never went back and basically retired just didn't like it anymore just wasn't doing it for me uh, and that broke my heart but I got stuck into running straight away but I always ran I always done my own training and I did the Dublin Marathon that year and I started to not really like it towards the 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 marathon as it came along because it was a just running every day of the week. Now, I didn't have to run every day of the week, but I had to run my personality as well. I had to run most days of the week to get the result I wanted, you know? So I was on for that elusive sub three hour time. I was sucked into that bubble. I had great support from lads in Dundalk 
in the Northeast Runners Club, fell in with them. A lot of unbelievably experienced runners back in the day. I fell in with them and they taught me how to run, how to feel, what to do, how to do it, when to do it. So it's a very quick uh, learning process. But I got to the Dublin Marathon. I did did 2.57. I went off at 2.50 pace like an Aegis, you know, do the first and then just died. But don't know how I made under three hours, but I did. But like that, in haste, I quit running after that, hated it because it was all the running. Just before the Dublin Marathon, I saw Eve doing a triathlon badly. And I said, that's the sport for me. So the following January, I uh, jumped into that. So I never looked back. Well, kind of. If you look at it, I've been in and out of sports, really. Cycling is my strongest suit, I suppose. But I went triathlon for a few years and then left triathlon, went cycling for a couple of years and back and back. But this is probably the longest time I've kind of stuck to triathlon, you know. What is it about triathlon, Brian, that that keeps you coming back to it? Well, I'm competing at at a decent level, I suppose. And in any sport, if you're if you're any good, you like to to race against the best and put yourself up, put yourself up against the best in the sport. So probably lucky enough that I can kind of compete against decent lads um that's probably it you know because with cycling it's you can't go out cycling on your own you need to be in a team and I was in a good couple of teams in cycling but it's not it's just not sustainable that's if you want to compete you can race with your club all right but if you look in Ireland the top lads getting results in the cycling game they're not with clubs they're with teams Every rider in Ireland gets frustrated with their own club. And if you look at how they all leave to go to a team because the club, the club won't support guys who want to race. So that team element thing, there's no backbone, there's no structure. So it won't last too long. And that frustrated me because I actually set up along with Damien Shaw, the team of SIA. For a couple of years, we put a good crew of lads together. It's a lot of effort, a lot of admin, a lot of the, I did mostly everything. And then you have to ride. So I was wrecked up mentally after a couple of years. So we had a lot of success, won a lot of races, done massive things nationally. I kind of had enough of that. And I said, triathlon is a better one man, one man game. So with triathlon, you don't have to rely on a team. You just rely on yourself solely. Because as a cyclist, you can train all year and be putting out the best power in the country and finishing the bunch. You know, the strongest very rarely wins a cycling race, but the strongest will always win an Ironman or a triathlon. Brian, you've had some superb success as a cyclist. I mean, the winner of the Des Hanlon, Ross Moon, the Tour of Ulster, but the biggest one, and I, I presume this stands out for you, second in, in the second stage of the Ross. That must have been some achievement. Yeah, it was. That elusive kind of, you know, every Irish rider once dreamed of riding in the Ross and then to, to just get around is, is an achievement. Um, definitely the level that it went to over the last number of years but being up the road and self and Owen Morton flew off the front and stayed away but I had had experience of being out in the front I've been caught a few times so we worked together well Owen was the strongest man at the end in in racing and you'll never remember who finishes second in any race but 
freaking everyone always reminds me of that. <laughs> I wish I wish people wouldn't remind me about it. You know, but because, it was such a super achievement. Yeah. I mean, to get so close. Yeah. To the t- I mean, it's not something to be sneezed at. I mean, and it's not just about the race on, on that day. It's about the level of commitment and, and work that you put in to get to yeah. the point to be able to get there. I was actually wasn't meant to ride the bike that year. I told the lads I had enough of just riding the bike. Uh, so I still stayed on the team and did the admin and all the organizing. But we weren't getting the results. And it was before Ross Moon, four weeks before Easter of, I think that was 2016. So that Easter, I think it got Roger Aiken, one of the best bike riders the country has seen, was on our team at the time. But frig me, he's a frustrating frigger. Roger would like to recalibrate himself every year, you know. He's been the best rider. I, I, hope, he, I hope he listens to this. He's the best rider that I've probably witnessed, seen the style, how he rides. Just, he's just unbelievable. But what he would do is every year, it was as if he was starting from scratch. He would change cleats, saddles, the whole lot, positions, the whole lot. And he just he couldn't get it right this year. So he texted me when he was away in Mallorca, the side of the road, probably fixing his cleats and said, oh, I'm not doing the Ross. So I was like, frig that. So now I have to do it. So I had to change my plans. And that's why I done the Ross that year, because we didn't have, you know, lads to compete. Well, we did, but it's kind of taken the, the decision as the chief of the along with Brendan and Damien to kind of say listen oh well Damien wasn't on the team that year he was with on post but I said look I'll ride it and actually that's why done that Ross that year and I was straight to triathlon did Barcelona then for that Irish record later on in the year you know so it was a mix that was a mix of a year a good year though yeah yeah sometimes you'll have your best years when you don't plan or best races that you don't plan I didn't plan that I had no type of training done for that Ross at all it was all triathlon all running I stopped running four weeks before the Ross that was it you mentioned there about him being um, a good rider Brian but what makes a good rider what is the definition of a good rider cyclist now uh, well you obviously have to have the physiology you have to mommy and daddy had to put something into you that's half decent and then you have to have the the will to work the the will to improve uh, and then you have to be smart because you won't get anywhere riding you'll, you'll get you'll get results all right but you won't get the proper results if you're not smart Um, you know you just have to have to have the head for racing in coming and talking to you about uh, that move into triathlon and and your irish record and your success as an athlete as a triathlete to date what has been the highlight of your triathlon career I'd say a rot, rot a couple of years ago when I'd done the 807. It was like it just all came together because you don't have the, you can go through your whole career or, or racing career and you just never get it out on race day. It just, there's something that just goes wrong that just makes you fail. But rot was just one of those days where it just came together and I was glad I got the return of it um, with the clock because it's all about when you're going for a fast race like Roth, something like that, you like I always have said, don't race the clock, you know, race the race. But I was going there for a time and to get it uh, uh, was, you know, was kind of just the, the moment where everything kind of came together. And in terms of things coming together, what happens when they don't come together, Brian? Well, you just, you just have to talk to yourself during the day. Uh, as it's not working out, you just 
have to ask yourself a very honest question. Can you go any better? Can you go any harder? Can you go any faster? And if the answer is no, then you just have to accept it. You have to accept it, what's happening on the road. You, you just There's nothing you can do. You just have to you just have to keep going. Or pull out like I've done many a time in races, DNFs, last whales, I DNFed and stuff like that, you know, and you have injuries and stuff like that. That happens too. You know. And and when do you know it's the time to DNF in a race, Brian? Because it's obviously a very difficult decision to make and you probably have a, a good angel on one side telling you, go on, keep going. And then you have the bad angel on the other side saying, no, you need to pull the plane. Well, if we pick Wales that was last September, that was like a mix of everything. This is going to be a day. This is happening today. And then it just went from being unbelievably this could be the day whereas i get a podium here to not actually getting the finisher's medal and what happened there for me you see i'll just take you back after roth i was knocked down i was hit by a van riding at about 50 kilometers an hour and ever since that bloody day i just have this i have my back does give me bother and it's manageable but as the race goes on and different types of terrain it kills me so in hilly courses where I have to change positions and the the focus is going down when I'm riding on hills and up out of the bars, there's pressure on my lower back. And so for the first three hours of Wales, I was flying. And then just the last hour, I was just going backwards. So I just could not hold hold the, hold the front bunch. And that's the first time I was ever in an Ironman where I was at the front of the race. Now, I know um, the Australian lad was up the road about 40 seconds up the road but I was in the chase group perfect position come out of the water at 55 minutes with lads that I was going did I take a shortcut <laughs> or like what's happening here and then and then you had to run about five kilometers friggin transition I was nearly going to die when I got to the bike <laughs> Ed, one you, kilometer Brian one kilometer yeah, felt like five but I got on the bike and I was just a one just straight up the road caught up with uh, Roman Goulam, French lad, and, and Phil Graves. Skipper was with me, and I was perfect. So easy. It, like, it felt easy. And I said, right, just don't do anything mad here. Just ride this. Don't even try to drop these lads. Just ride with them and just run your own marathon. It's not a fast marathon. It's a solid marathon. And I just, no, I actually, I got off and tried to run. But I was gone. My back was just like that. It was just so tight and there was nothing that could do. And it wasn't worth it. You know, it wasn't worth it. And then the head went a bit as well. You know, it's just kind of you, you talk to yourself and you give yourself every out possible. You say, oh, frigate, you know, this, you know, you've done plenty this year, whatever, whatever. I'm not one of these lads who all oh, finish no matter what. You know, I'm past that stage. Like, there's there's lads out there that will say, oh, finish a race, hands and knees, doesn't matter. That's crap. You know, I, I just didn't, I didn't finish. Um, there's plenty, there was plenty more, plenty more races, I suppose. I do remember actually in Dunleary and your back, I remember seeing you running along the Esplanade and your, your back was, was giving out to you as well. Yes, Wicklow's the same. You yeah. see, it's, Wicklow is out of the saddle more. That was, that's a beast of a course. And Brian, how do you manage your own expectations going into a race that you think you'll have the measure of and that you'll do well in? How do you manage your, your expectations when one, things go right and two, when things go wrong? 
Well, I don't know. All you can do is give it an honest effort. Um, I don't know managing your expectations. It's like you, you dream of something, you, you hope of something, but does it actually happen? You won't know until after. So all you can do is your best. You're not in control of anybody else, only yourself. Anything can happen on race day, anything. So I don't know. Your expectations always should be high all the time. So managing your expectations isn't isn't a problem. It's just just hoping that you get all the training sessions that you do leading up to something. It kind of it all comes together and, and shows you can actually show what you're doing on training day into race day. It doesn't always happen like that. And you bring me right into the question about Ironman Cork because anything can happen on race day. And as we know, Ironman Ireland last year was probably the worst weather we've had (laughs) in a summer in one day in a long, long time. And you were lining up against one of the best triathletes in the world and Mm -hmm. gave an unreal account of yourself. That day and I wouldn't. I've raced plenty of days on on bikes like that. Uh, So... It's not nice, don't get me wrong. I wasn't smiling at the start of the race. I wasn't looking forward to it. But again, I go back to that accepting thing. You, you accept that it's there. How, how do I tackle this? You know, uh, you straight away think of strategy. Um, I had a couple of lads. I was ringing, is this swim going ahead? You know, it's on the phone. So you're always preparing, you know. So I was straight onto the windy app on the phone, looking at where the wind is blowing, picking certain parts of the course where you're going to maybe ride harder then you kind of you know figuring things out like that Um, what you're going to wear you know i felt awful sorry for the age groupers that didn't start an hour after us like they had a harder time than we had you know uh, because we were all straight away but then you know then you have to make tactical decisions uh straight away instinct because then when i was on the start line they drew our names out of a hat. So it was who went first, second, third and fourth. So I went off fourth. So straight away, I'm looking at who's first, second and third. And I'll say, oh, I'll catch him. I'll catch him. I mightn't catch him. It was the guy that finished third. I forget his name, Mark, the German lad. The lads that I was worried about was obviously Alistair and then uh, Van Hoonacker. So I was making the calculations up in my head how far they started behind me. So where I wanted to go out at a certain effort, I changed that straight away because Brown Lee was only three minutes behind me. So the last thing I wanted was him catching me. So I went out hard. So then straight away, we all know how he races. He doesn't do anything easy. So he was going to come out hard. So when I was hearing splits on the road, I figured he wasn't catching me. Or at one point, he actually put 20 seconds into me. So I just changed my effort a little bit. Next time I heard a split from the side of the road and I had got those 20 seconds back. So I knew I was on the right effort that he wasn't going to catch me. And then all of a sudden that gap went out big time because he figured as well that he actually, this, I'm not catching this guy. I need to pull back. So then I went on and got that gap. So there is a bit of thinking to it. Like it's not just about putting the head down and riding. Um, but I wasn't. I wasn't racing against him for the win. Like, not that I gave up from any point. Like, this is Alistair Brownlee. Like, he he was always going to win. The only thing that would have helped me win that race was that he just stopped on the road because he had never actually done an Ironman before. That was my only hope and prayer that, like, some of the best athletes in the world can handle Ironman. That's why they don't do it. You know, some of the fastest lads, but obviously he can't. 
and he didn't bloody stop. He kept going. You know, it just shows you how how good and how strong he is. But I kept going as well as much as I could. Um, I wasn't in great running shape anyway going into it. It was good. It was a good race. I enjoyed it. Sure, the crowd, the place was unbelievable. You know, windmill hill. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I walked up that the first lap. I heard that. Yeah. 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 Somebody obviously got their uh, their information wrong. Yeah, that's a, a a tough piece of the course, but also separates the men from the boys. I think across not only the professionals but also the age group athletes across the board. In terms of your own performance on the day, were you happy with how you performed? Oh yeah, I wouldn't have been able to get another ounce out of myself. And what was it like when Alistair passed you? Did very you know slow. he was coming? Oh yeah, very slow to be honest. He was dying. You know, and even after he passed me out, I thought I might still have a chance. He could still stop. You never know what's going to happen in Ironman. So even after he passed me, it was like that kind of pass like that. I was like, "Mm, this boy might just buckle yet, but he didn't. But you could see, you could, with the way the laps were going, you could see. um, Didn't see him for the first couple of laps. And then all of a sudden there he is like a fucking gazelle going over the road. (laughs) <laughs> well he probably has about 20 kg on you does he more say Would 30 he? i'd say yeah yeah from your own experience in terms of of racing yourself and alistair were you know in my personal opinion watching it were the stars of the show in terms of the pro racing i mean there was an awful lot of eyes on you and eyes on alistair and i think everybody in the country as much and all as we we love alistair brownlee but you know we were all rooting for you to to take that win on home soil and and win your ironman race in ireland give it a shot i suppose it's a pity there's no well i think it's to be rescheduled i'm not sure but there's still no pro race it's a pity the men's pro field isn't allowed into it you know because you'd probably have the likes of Chris Mintern maybe entering it, but he's still a bit young. He probably would want it, but he probably shouldn't because he's so much to do, I'd say, around 70.3. But the fact that it's in y'all, you could see him at it. Yeah, and he did mention in the show that we did that he had thought about doing it and he had questioned Gav Noble and Aina about doing it for last year and that he was just himself would say he was being too eager and it was the better decision not to do it. He had good advice there because like he's still young. The young the young head would definitely would have entered that. If he hadn't had any advice with old older experienced heads like Gav and Aina, he'd he'd be on that start list, you know. And that would only it wouldn't be the right decision, you know. He he was racing with his heart rather than his legs, I'd say, if he had made that decision. But he made he make the right decision. It's actually the race that he wants to win. Of all the races in the world, it's the race he it's. wants to win because it's his And he race. will. Yeah. And just coming back to that point about the, the professional men at the Cork race. So obviously we know at this stage, because of the global pandemic, uh, Ironman Ireland has been postponed for the moment. But it was a women for try race to encourage more women to take part in uh, triathlon yeah. and in Ironman. And it was a big honour and prestigious thing for Ironman Ireland to get that as the uh, European race. So it will be interesting to see what happens if the race goes ahead this year, whether it will still return that women for try mm. that status you mentioned Chris Minturn um, Brian and a lot of them look up to you for inspiration and look to everything that you've done and you've achieved in, in your career how does that make you feel? Um, oh yeah but I'm glad I can you know help inspire people people out there but I don't think it's for anything, anything it's, I don't think it's for me to dwell upon it's for other people to you know what I can't sit back here. Oh, yeah, I'm deadly. I, you know, it's all I can say is 
Thanks, I appreciate it. But there's nothing really I can kind of, you know, I'm just doing, I'm just doing what I love. And if I can help people in any way and show them that it's anything's achievable, then that's my job done. And you are coaching still at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm doing a wee bit, you know, doing doing what I can. Yeah, I'm helping out some athletes. Yeah, I wouldn't say I have a coaching business, uh, but I definitely helping out a few lads. And for those who are listening that are, um, I suppose, looking for inspiration or looking to get better at triathlon, what is the key component to get better at triathlon? Just have to get out in the road. You have to just have to train to get out in the road. You have to put the hours in. You have to uh, you have to make probably sacrifices that you're already that that's that's happening in your life. Um, and you just have to just put the head down. It's not going to take months. It's going to take years, you know years doesn't matter what age you are if you're only starting off it's going to take years and uh, just enjoy the process you know there'll be a lot of ups and downs and definitely more downs than ups you know you mentioned ups and downs brian what's been the highlight of your career to date highlight mm. uh well i did mention roth earlier um but and we talked about y'all so th- those two um but of, of late that look at y'all you know what about Kona? No, Kona didn't really do it for me in terms of I love I I loved being there. I loved being a part of it, but I wouldn't have it as my ultimate. It was it was an absolute war, you know, of it. Like Jesus, like it was probably the biggest kicking I've ever got, you know, because a fella like me will never do well in Kona because it doesn't suit that big man uh like i can't it's impossible for me to get the fluids and everything into me to keep going i, I just can't do it the way i sweat how big i am like it's a it's a furnace um but i think uh it's a very special place definitely i def i'd like to go back uh i definitely i i, I said i'd love to go back as a professional but uh, had I won y'all I, I would have got the the spot but I I couldn't tell you would I have taken it or not have taken it because it was never presented to me so I don't know what way I would have went yeah no Kona is look it's the world championships but I think there's there's other things that have happened to me that have topped Kona maybe that's probably the best way of answering that so how are you keeping your focus now, Brian, for training and keeping on top of everything now that we don't have, I suppose we don't have any races for the moment. Everything has been suspended until the 30th of June insofar as triathlon and activities. So, you know, how do you keep your focus and your motivation to continue to get better, to get faster, to get stronger? Well, it doesn't change really. It just circumstances of where you where you train have changed. But there's a bigger problem going on in the world at the moment so I kind of have to put that selfish head that we have as athletes to one side um, there's more important things happening at the moment but I think for your own well-being definitely for mine I need to be doing something so you know you just you're just keeping yourself ready you're keeping your toe in the water to be ready for something to happen that's the way i'm thinking at the moment i just need to be ready to race if somebody said this is happening in june do you want to go and you're kind of looking at yourself going oh i should have done something you know whereas now i'm kind of like everybody i think you know you're kind of just keeping yourself right 
You mentioned at the start of our chat, Brian, that um, you were doing more training now than you were doing before we went into lockdown. So what does a typical training week look like for you now? We'd probably average it about two, two and a half hours a day uh, training, where if that's a run or a bike or a bit of gym. So I kind of work my head. I don't write anything down lately. I kind of just go with the flow. Because you have kids and stuff, you kind of wake up. You know, if one of them turned around and said, I want to play tennis now, you're coming, you know, and you're ready to go out in the bike turbo for an hour, you kind of, okay, you want to put a bit of time into them. So, but the typical week is, I'm probably doing about 10 to 12 hours on the, on the turbo mix of everything. And then about, let's say five hours running at the minute. And, and how are you um, protecting your swim? Well, I have cords. I bought I bought some uh, stretchable cords that I never used and I took them out of the box a couple of weeks ago and I've been wrapped around a tree and just bending over and doing the, the high elbow. I don't miss the swim swimming training. I don't enjoy it anyway. But uh, yeah, that's all I've been doing. Gym work, lifting weights again haven't been lifting weights in years so uh i had a swim bench but i gave it to dunica about two months ago and funny that you mentioned dunica because i did want to chat to you about uh being a guide for dunica mccarthy who also was on the show a couple of weeks ago and also eve your sister uh being a guide for katie george dunleavy and that's another story of how did you end up as a guide with dunica and uh, potentially going to the tokyo olympics i was chatting to eamon tilly one day i said have you any any fellas half decent there give a crack at the triathlon and he says i do and that's it the rest is history i jumped in went to a training day and met dunica did a few bit of training a few races and i've been helping him ever since it's as simple as that because i have experience of the tandem with Cycling Ireland when Eve and I started out and yeah just just as simple as that. Do you get to train much together prior to the situation we're in were you getting much training time I know you were getting a lot of racing done and you were chasing those qualifying points for Tokyo so what happens now um, that you can't see each other? I don't know Uh, well Donna could get outside we we were trying to train on Friday so he he's in Dublin so he come down to me on a Friday and we we get out for a spin on Fridays. Um that probably hadn't been regular enough. Um and then different things would crop up. He might have work, I might not be available. But Dunnick has a couple of good guides in Dublin and uh Dave Tilly helps him out too on the bike, he's brilliant. He uh would take him out. But Dunnick's training wouldn't really change much uh now. The only thing he's not getting in the water. But she was making massive strides in the water. Like he was swimming five, six times a week uh, in UCD, I think. And he's come on an awful lot. Um, but I'm glad he has the, my swim bench because he need, needs it more than I do. And I probably wouldn't use it if I was here anyway because I don't like it. <laughs> but uh, look, Dunnick is, isn't in any different uh, situation than, than anybody else, I suppose. And Brian, with yourself and Eve being such strong athletes and excelling in not only cycling and triathlon and sport in general, do you think, has it come down to the genes or is there something that's innate in both of you that has led you to being so successful? Yeah, Eve always wanted to be like me. You know, she, all her life, she just has been in my shadow and 
she just couldn't she just couldn't get out of it and uh just lately i said you know what eve you go ahead you go in front for a while i'll give you a bit of the give you a bit of that light there so uh she she's uh she's put me way back here because all eve's life she's been known as brian mccrystal's sister but since all these medals have come into eve's house i'm now known as her brother you know so did I say that right? Yeah, yeah so did. I'm Eve. I'm Eve McChrystal's brother. You're, you're Eve McChrystal's brother, whereas she was always the other one. You must be incredibly proud of what she's achieved, Brian. Oh, yeah, she puts in the work. Serious amount of work. They've a great, they've a great thing going. Herself and Katie, the two of them, equal partnership. She's putting in the work. He's putting in the work. They've got a great uh, support network. Neil coaching them. Yeah, they're putting in the work. They're the best in the world for a reason because they are putting in hard yards, hard and smart yards. You talk about putting in the work, Brian, but also technology and equipment. I want to ask you a little bit about that because you've been in triathlon quite a while now, or at least in the sport of of cycling and triathlon. How have you seen the equipment change over the years and what has been the biggest change in getting faster other than training? What's the the biggest change in equipment available? Equipment? Well, yeah, it's it's all bike, really. So, well, wetsuits probably yeah different wetsuits i definitely have responded well to wetsuits i was lucky to get a deboer wetsuit this year and i think i took a couple of minutes off myself and like that wasn't from the training so i was happy with that the main man himself got me one dave sheridan so if anybody wants one look him up but in terms of biking the equipment the bikes have come on but the most important thing is position. It's how you sit on a bike. You know, at the end of the day, lots of guys have t- stuff to sell, but will they make it any faster? Yes, but not to the degree you might think. The biggest thing you can focus on is your position. And like different equipment works different with each person. So if you were to put on a specialized helmet and I was to do the same, you could be faster in it and I could be slower in it, but it's been advertised as the fastest helmet, but everyone's head is different and how you sit on a bike. So you need to do your own investigating, but how do you know? The thing is you're caught because you don't know if it's fast until you bloody buy it. So you're kind of, if you buy something, you're stuck with it. So I've chopped and changed over the years and that that's a, that's years and years and years of process. That a personal project. You nearly have to see yourself as a personal project, a master's degree nearly. But I think I've found my kind of, like if, it's only the other day I'm back putting different headsets on my time trial bike, even now, you know. Um, but I have to adapt and change because I was riding my time trial bike in the turbo a couple of times and my back was at me. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, I, I actually know that that's the fastest position but I actually, I can't hold it. So what's the point having the fastest position if I can't sit in it? So then comfort should be a factor. So that's what I'm playing with now in, in recovery and rest days is my position on the time trial bike. Um, and I think, and where I actually got it bang on right uh, was in y'all. I, I was actually very, I was very high at the front end and the bike, I put a larger stem on it and there was fellas looking at me going, Jesus. Like, like a high fridge. A fridge. Yeah, yeah. But I was solid. I did not move. 
you know, and I think I think uh, I'm better off. I think, and I'm not I'm not supple. I'm not young, so I think I have to be just work with that. But I'll tell you about it some more, you know. It's the small tweaks that can make the big difference in the long run, really, can't they? To everything, food, recovery, training, setup, everything. Yeah, yeah, all the little things matter. But it's it's important not to get bogged down by them all, you know. You can really, you know, you can really give yourself, like I've seen myself, you know, going into races and, you know, things haven't gone right and you just think you're going to have the worst race of all time and then you turn up and you're like Superman. You feel invincible and then you cross the line going, what the hell? Why are you giving yourself such a hard time? That happens all the time. So I try not to give myself as hard a time. But that's not, that's easier said than done. You know, the instinct on us, you know, it's kind of normally comes out more times. Do you get frustrated with yourself when things don't go right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because like you do put a lot of emphasis and hopes on results, support and backing that you get. You know, you want to give return. And then when you turn up, you're like, you feel like it, you know, and then it's not as if you can turn up and pick a race the following week and do it to kind of, you know, make up for the last one because you're wrecked from the the one you didn't do great. And, you know, so that's where bike racing would uh, would be different from cycling. So, like, if you were cycling this Saturday in, in a race and you were you were flying, you thought you were doing great, turned up and got your arse handed to you and you can just turn up the next Sunday or even the next day and win, you know, whereas triathlon doesn't work like that. You turn up on Saturday and you do a half Ironman or whatever and you go crap. It's not as if you can do the another half Ironman the following week. You have to wait another month or two or a few months until the next one. So that's where the difference is, you know, with bike racing, you can forget about that awful race that you have like that, whereas a half Ironman will stay with you. You know, if you have a, a race, your top race, like Barcelona, say, in, in October, and like most people don't finish an Ironman delighted with themselves in terms of performance, you have the whole winter to think, remember that, <laughs> you know, you're like, you know, it's eating at you the whole winter, you know, it's very hard to forget the bad results in Ironman, I think. Does that fuel your passion, though, to be better? It does, yeah, of course it does, it has to. It has to, you know, it has to think it's only natural that it does, you know. You mentioned your support crew and obviously your wife, uh, Karen, and your kids, Rian and Era. They've been a massive support to you as well. And Karen is a great athlete in her own right. She is. She's a, a marathon woman. She's done Dublin plenty of times. We do meet each other at the, in the hall. <laughs> and do you coach her? I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I do advise her, not advice doesn't always be taken. She knows where she's at. And what about your own coaching, Brian, in terms of you being a coached athlete? Do you have your own coach? No, not at the moment, no. I have had worked with plenty of lads over the years. Well, only three people over the years. But I'm very hard to coach, I think, because I nearly let down the person that I'm with because of my routine and lifestyle. I can't actually stick to a set plan. Thursday could be something certain that happens on Thursday on the plan and then just all everything goes out the window. I have to do this, that or the other. So I'm not really just nearly say I'm not coachable as such, but 
that's actually a sticky point at the moment. I'm wondering, will I soar something? Will I change things up? You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. We'll watch this space. Mm. And when we do come out of this uh, cocoon that we're in at the moment, uh, where we're all at home, what race would you most like to do? I don't know. I might go back to Wales, if, if that's about... Um, but I have not put any thought into it at all because it's not worth it because we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Or uh, the hard man race down in Kerry. Um, I'd like to I'd like to help and support uh, that race because I don't think it has got the backing of the Irish guy. We're kind of flying away here, there and everywhere. And I think what they're doing down there is very good. And maybe sure if we can give them a turn and support us, I think uh, that would be good, you know, support our own races. And before we finish up, Ryan, you've been an inspiration to, to many people coming through, male and female, many athletes. Uh, we've had lots of requests for you to be on the show, but I'd love to know who inspires you. Um, I'm going to be really sad here, right? I'm going to say my wife, you know, I don't know if that's sad or not. But it is because I like the way she goes about her business and she does kind of help me through day to day, you know. So and that's me just being honest. Uh, she probably that that support, that support network that I have yeah, around me kind of helps me and encourages me to get out and do what I do. Um, and then playing ball, listening to me when things aren't great. Um you know, I'd have to, as well, my sister too, she's a great inspiration in terms of what she's done the last number of years and how she's gone about it. Uh, you know, she's really only has become an athlete. It's remarkable in what she's done because she's only been a, an athlete for a very short period of time and how she's got to this place is unbelievable. Very proud of her. Um, but... Yeah, my family, my general family, you know, and uh, yeah, I think they'd, they'd be my inspirations, I suppose. And one final question. If you could go back and do anything differently across your triathlon career, what would it be? I don't think I'd do anything different. I don't, I, I honestly probably started earlier. <laughs> That's probably what I would do. Yeah, I don't have any regrets, you know, because you live and die by decisions you make at the time and you're never going to make the right one. So I, if, if anything, I probably would have started this a lot earlier. But my other sport gave me some of the best different years of my life. And I have very good friends out of that to this day. So I don't think I change an awful lot. Um, you know, just trying to be the best that you can be. Approach it. Approach every day, you know, as a new day. Just try and wake up in the morning. Be the best version of yourself. You know, that's, that's kind of doesn't always work out like that. You know, doesn't always work out like that. But if you can try and be like that, I think it's it's probably the best way. Well, Brian McChrystal, some sound words of advice to finish up our chat this afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. And I wish you every success with all of your training, racing. And I really do look forward to seeing you coming down the finish line. And uh, I can't wait to see you take the title at an Ironman race in the near future. Oh. <laughs> I don't know about that thanks Joanne thanks again for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com and remember to tune in to our live Facebook chats 
on the Try Talking Sport page on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 8.30pm. If you are enjoying the shows, please pop a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Try Talking Sport Facebook page. Or why not share the show with a friend who might enjoy the content and be inspired, encouraged and motivated to passionately pave their own way in endurance sport. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe and stay at home.